morning we have the opportunity to hear from a guest speaker. His name is Alex, and Alex is a minister with RUF, which is our denomination's ministry um, at USC. And he's been with them for 12 years, he and his wife Becky, and their kids live here in the area. He's a friend of City Lights. We've had him here before. We're excited to have him today. Let's welcome up Alex this morning. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a while since I've been here, but I've been here enough to, to know this place is familiar. And um, I'm like staring straight into that light. Um, if you have a Bible or on your sheet of paper and you want to follow along, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a letter um, from what we understand to be Paul's most affectionate uh, relationship with the church where he uh, had a profound ministry and he talks uh, more poignantly and profoundly about the idea of uh, being a family, about being together uh, as one body, about what it means to be a part of uh, a church. And so uh, I want to sort of unpack uh, an aspect of that with you this morning. And this is from Ephesians 4. Uh, Beginning at verse 7, the Apostle Paul wrote this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the wind of every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And this is God's word. Uh, This morning I want to talk to you about sort of uh, that the church is a family. And you are not just to come to this but the prescription of Scripture is that you are to find a role to play in this. There was an article uh, in the LA Times, I think it was about two years ago, that, that talked about sort of the dynamic of people coming to and from the city and sort of analyzing and talking about, now why do people leave uh, Los Angeles uh, at, a rapid, at a rapid rate? We know why they come. They come for dreams, they come to make it, they come to find something. But why do they leave? And uh, there's a lot of reasons, financial, dreams crushed, but a major one that the author argued was that people leave this city because they can't find a place of significance. 
That is, they can't find a, a role. And what he argued was that actually if, if people found a community, if they found a place where they mattered, where they thrived, that they were a part of, that even the financial troubles, that even the, um, the dreams that did not live up to, the, to billing, that they would find a way to push through that and stay and plug in here because of the community and the role that they found. But it's difficult to find it here. And the church is meant to be something unique to call us out of whatever we're pursuing in our life and to help us to find something to be a part of and to find a role in this city. But one of the unique things about this passage that's different, that makes the church different from every other sort of organization calling you out of something and to be a part of something, is that often in this city, when you find a community that the idea of coming out of your life and coming into something and being a part of something and being unified, it requires uniformity. And what the unique thing about the gospel is, is it calls you out of what you're pursuing your life in right now into something unifying, but glorifies and identifies the diversity within the unity. Um, I remember we had a... a a dinner at our table this uh, it was like this winter, and it was it was certainly the NFL season because this was the context of it, but um, we were sitting at dinner, and just out of nowhere, my twelve year old just said, "You know who I feel bad for the buffalo bills um, and we were, my wife and I were like, oh, okay, <laughs> why and he said, because they went to four straight Super Bowls and didn't win." And then my uh, nine-year-old at the time goes, you know who I feel bad for is the Minnesota Vikings because they can't ever seem to get to a Super Bowl. And now, now, my family, we've never lived in Buffalo. We've never lived in Minnesota, anything like this, but it's just, just out of nowhere. So then my seven-year-old just goes, you know who I feel bad for is North Korea. And we're just, we're like, Why? <laughs> Uh, and he had no reason, of course. But I remember laughing at that moment and thinking, um, now, would it have been appropriate for me to just squash him out and say, hey, no, 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 we're talking in the context of NFL football? Or uh, what actually makes our family great and what actually makes it so wonderful and beautiful to be around one another is that all of their minds and all their personalities and all the ways that Jesus has gifted them in life are sitting around that table enjoying fellowship together. And what the gospel wants to do to your life is not draw you into other people and make you the same as them, but to identify your story and to draw you out of what you're doing and to draw you into relationships, into a family and where the diversity of who your background, of your story, the way you're gifted comes out to make something beautiful altogether. So let's look at that this morning through three things in this text. That you find a role not just in this city, but in this building, in this family right here. Through these three things. One, the gospel will tell you that everybody has a role. Two, it's for a unifying purpose. But three, because of one thing. Okay? So one, uh, everybody plays a role. We see this in verse 7. Uh, if you've got the text in front of you where uh, uh, Paul tells us this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That, that is that Jesus came to his people and he disperses gifts on his people. Now let's notice three things about this. Let's notice the who, the what, and the how much of what Paul's talking about here. Who? 
Paul says grace was given to whom? To each one of us. Now what this means is that when you become a Christian, what happens is that the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come into your story, that come into your personal life, and equips you with a specific gift of a unique part of Jesus. That is, Jesus was the most full human who ever lived. He was gifted in every possible way. He was gentle and empathetic and soft with people who needed empathy. He was harsh and abrupt and to the point with people who needed truth. He was profound. He was kind. He was gracious. He was wise. He was everything a human being was meant to be. And what the Paul is telling us is that when you become a Christian, a aspect of the personality and the personhood of Jesus is given to everyone. And that's not distinguished amongst your degree of struggle with sin. It's not distinguished amongst those who have more faith. This is not advanced Christianity. This is not for people who like really read the Bible. This is not for people who really pray. This is not for people who really give. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... Paul is telling you that you have been given a gift. Now, what, what is it? What is given is a gift of Jesus. I just mentioned this, but it's that, that Jesus, the fullness of who he is, is given to every single person. That is, you have an aspect of Jesus that this person over here does not have. And there's a, there's a, there's a part of Jesus' giftedness, a part of his propheticness, a part of his kingliness that maybe you have that this person over here, or this person over here, has not been given. And that everybody has an aspect of Jesus that is uniquely given to them for in this family. And it's a gift from himself. And the purpose is that you may be able to give a part of Jesus away that no one else can. Who, what, and how much, it says, according to the measure. Do you, uh, do you remember that episode of The Office where uh, it's a Christmas episode and uh, they're going to do Secret Santa and I think it, at, at first everybody's given like a $10 limit or something like that and then um, uh, Michael uh, Scott played by, um, uh, what's his name, Steve Carell, uh, totally goes out of the touch and decides to buy like a, a video iPod at the time which was like the most expensive thing ever. And everybody gets mad and frustrated, and he says, well, uh, I love uh, spending a lot of money on people because it's a tangible way to say I love you this much money way. And everybody's offended by it. Look, spiritual gifts are the exact opposite of that. There are some people here that will have a gift more than, uh, more in the amount of that gift than you will have. That is, some people may have more of the measure of the the gift of prayer or the gift of truth-telling or the gift of service or the gift of mercy than you have. But the gifting, and this is where the gospel is different, does not equal the amount of God's love for you. That is, somebody who's more profoundly gifted in something than you are is not more significant than you to the family, and they're not more loved by God than you to the family, and they're not more important to the family. That is, there's a reason that only Jesus knows that he's given each one of you a distinct gift and maybe in different amounts than other people. And just because you might only have what in your mind is a teeny little bit of this gift makes you no less significant, makes you no less important, and makes you no less loved by Jesus. 
Now, all, what the, here's what this tells you about everybody playing a role. You've got to understand that there's something that Jesus has given you in a certain amount that is vital to this community. Because what the vision of your community is, is to have a ministry here in the arts district. And one of the things I want you to know is how different this text talks about it than we think about normal ministry in 21st century. Because the way the average Christian thinks about ministry in this day and age is that people like me, pastors, or Dennis, or Brent, those are the really gifted ones, and those are the ones who are really going to do a lot of ministry. But that's not what this text is in any way teaching. What this text will teach and what your experience will teach around here is that there's tons of significant things to do. In my personal experience, often the least qualified person to do it is the pastor. I mean, if you're going to reach people in the arts district, that means you've got to have people uh, in and around here who are intuitive of the arts, who are gifted with things like that, who know how to have conversations with people like this, who know how to share uh, musical gifts, artistic gifts, uh, with people in and around this community. Do you know who some of the least qualified people to do that are? Are pastors. We have like zero artistic talent. That's why we're in this ministry. We can't do that at all. And what this text tells you is that the body of believers, what a family is meant to be, is to find the people who are gifted in these things. And that you're to have this amazing role and probably do way more significant things than actually a pastor will do. And here's why this is good news for you this morning. Because in a city like Los Angeles where we have such a tendency to feel irrelevant. Paul is telling you here, in this family, you can never, ever, ever feel irrelevant. Because Jesus, not the pastor, not City Light Church, Jesus, by faith, has given you a significant role to play in a gift that's only meant for you to a certain amount to heal this city. Everyone plays a role. But secondly, it tells us that it's for a unifying purpose. And this is important for me uh, to tell you this because a lot of times when we start talking about spiritual gifts uh, in the church, I get frustrated because it becomes this very individualistic vision where uh, we don't separate at all from sort of enlightenment thinking. We don't even get out of sort of individualistic America. Because uh, when we think about spiritual gifts what Jesus has gifted you with is in no way meant to be only for you, nor is it meant to be for you leaving out of this family and going into other sort of communities around L.A. and finding, um, sort of taking your gift away from this family. Because what your gift is meant to do is to participate in a unifying purpose in this family. Let me show you in a text. Paul says this, In verse 11, he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Those those are roles, and those are sort of specific gifts. I'll come back to those in a second. For this, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, this word equip was a medical term that was often used uh, referring in the context of mending broken limbs. And what Paul here is saying is that gifts, diverse gifts are given for the purpose of mending broken limbs. 
And if we're honest, all of us have some broken limb in our life. There's some part of our story that doesn't feel fully attached yet. There's some part of what's happened to us in life or we've participated in that just doesn't feel fully healed yet. And here's what Paul is doing. Here in, in Ephesians 4, we're given word gifts. Elsewhere in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, you can read there's a more sort of thorough listing of the spiritual gifts. But here, let's just talk about word gifts for the sake of what Paul's teaching here. He is saying that these word gifts, here's what it does. The pastor is not the one with all of gifts in the world. His gifts are meant to draw you in with God's word to be part of mending your broken limbs and to let the fullness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit seen in his word mend parts of your story and put them back on and heal them so that you can go out into this city and do significant ministry. And what the gifts of the, what the word gifts of teaching and of prophetic ministry are, are meant to do are meant to equip you, to heal you, so that you can go and mend other broken limbs. In my, in my personal experience, just even on the campus with college students, uh, I remember uh, this was like uh, a couple years ago. I was having a day where I just needed encouragement, and I wrote down uh, all these students' names who I remember telling me that they had come to faith that they, they didn't know really Jesus or the gospel before they came to RUF, but they're going to leave USC now knowing the gospel and joining churches. And so I wrote all these students' names down. And then I decided to sort of uh, write out and think about how did they really come to this faith? How did they come uh, to know Jesus? How did they get involved in, in our ministry? Uh, how did this happen to them? And as I began to jot them down, I think it was like over like 50-something names I remember writing down. It was only one of them that I could remember that had said to me uh, after I was preaching that, um, hey, I, I didn't understand the gospel, but now I do. Every other story was my friends cared for me. That uh, this was happening in my life, and my small group was there for me and prayed for me. This happened, you know, in, in my experience, and that person, they came and they just sat with me. Or this was going on, and these people brought me things. They brought me food. They brought me, you know, to this conference. They stayed up with me. They went for walks with me. They worked out with me. And here's what I began to realize about my ministry. What I was doing is I was standing up in front of college students all the time and telling them who Jesus was and what the gospel was. And, and absolutely the Holy Spirit was doing some mending in people's lives. But the real significant things that were happening on the campus were because the Spirit was using my gift to mend people's uh, stories through the Word. And then they were going out, and the significant things that were happening on the campus was because people's gifts were becoming alive, and they were going into people's stories and caring for them and being a part of healing their own lives. See, if you're new here, or just visiting this church, I, I want you to hear this for just 30 seconds. 
Christians in this city, and if you've experienced it this way, I'm sorry, are not meant to be just fanatical religious people who leave Los Angeles and we huddle together and talk about how terrible this city is and how frustrated we are with it and how we can't, you know, we're just trying to survive it. No, 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 no. What this text tells us is that what the church is supposed to be are people who have admitted and are working through their broken limbs. And we have a common experience of coming together to have our limbs healed by the one healer, Jesus. And we are to go out into our individual stories where we have unique gifts and are able to speak to certain people where this person over here could not speak to the people in the way that this person over here could speak to them. And these people over here can care for people in significant ways that these people right here even cannot even connect with. And we're healing broken limbs everywhere. Now let me apply this real quick. Because one of the things about uh, family church in Los Angeles is that um, we have very busy lives. And we have lots of things, lots of extracurricular activities. There's uh, incredible fun things that you could be doing right now. I'm sure, I don't know what it is, but there's something unbelievable. It's only happening one time in the world, and it's in Los Angeles right now this morning. And you could be there doing it. And that's an often experience for a Christian community, for people to uh, to live life this way, where I, I, two out of four times a month is actually... Uh, I think what most of us are starting to consider a normal church attendance and normal community group involvement. And we think about it along the lines that say, well, um, I don't really need it right now. Or I'm doing well, I'll just you know, not be there and I'll just skip out on it. And we think along the lines of what we need and what's uh, significant for us. But have you ever thought about it? Where... Coming to, to the worship service or coming to your community group or joining a community group is significant, not just for you, but it's significant for that person over there. Like, have you ever thought that Dennis needs you? Or that Brent needs you? And that you can heal their broken limbs and you can heal that person's broken limbs in a way that no one else can. That people need you in their story, and you're the only person that Jesus has gifted in a unique way to pray for that person, to bring them a meal, to speak and be a part of their lives in a way that no one else can. And the creator of the universe has uniquely appointed and narrated your story in a way you're able to do that that no one else can. Have you ever thought about your story and gift that way? Because the vision of a family and a church is that everyone thinks and realizes that the Creator has called them out of darkness into this marvelous light and given them an unbelievable gift so that you all come together and find the amazing, unique ways where you're all doing one thing together, mending broken limbs in this city. It's that unifying purpose, and that's the vision of finding a role in this family and in this city for the city. Look, everyone in this room right now, if you call on the name of Jesus, you've been given a role. It's for one unifying purpose. But thirdly, it happens because of one thing. Look, there's a significant role for the sake of others. And why do you want to be a part of this family and this vision? Because there's actually a lot of organizations 
that are, are trying to do uh, good things in this city and are trying to heal certain things. But why do you want to be a part of this one? I'll tell you why. Because of the head of this family. Uh, J.R. Tolkien was uh, one, one time conversing with some students uh, who were struggling with friendship at Oxford, and he said to them, you know, you need to find friends like hobbits. And the students asked why. And he, well, he told them to go read his books, but he said, um, he said, you know, hobbits are people that on their birthdays, they don't receive gifts, they give gifts. And the head of this family and the king of the church is a king that there is no one else like in this world. Because he's a king that you want to follow into mending brokenness. Because he's a king who doesn't just receive gifts. He's a king who gives gifts. Let me show you in the text. This is amazing. When Paul says this in verse 7, but, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Jesus gives us gifts. And then he says, he, he quotes Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men which is sort of a, a modern illustration for the psalmist to talk about, and I'll explain that in just a second. And then he says in verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Here's what he's saying. In the ancient Near East, when a king would win a victory, when he would conquer a foreign nation, what would happen is he would defeat the enemy and then he would free the captives. And he would free these people who were under sort of uh, evil bondage and the captives would follow him back into his country. And when he would come back, there would be this huge procession where everybody in the city and everybody in the country would be out there praising and singing the king's name uh, for freeing these people, for protecting their nation. And it, it would be so unbelievable that they would have to have somebody in the chariot uh, right there with the king who would say, homo ace, which means, remember, you are just a mere mortal. Because it would be such a celebration. And everybody there would be uh, throwing gifts at the king. You would go and you would grow the greatest gift you could have. You could, you could bring one of your most prized possessions and you would just offer it to this king who in all of his glory was being celebrated in on his procession with the captives behind him. And here's what Paul is saying. You need to understand how different of a king Jesus is. Because he won a victory over the ultimate evil, but not with the sword, but with his death on the cross. And in his resurrection, he drew out all of our slavery and freed us from all of our captivity. And what the Spirit does is enable us to follow our King in his procession. But his procession in his ascension from this world to the right hand of the Father, where he will one day have all nations. Everyone will bow down, and everyone will be on their knees, and they will say, this is the true king. This is the king worth all of our, our glory, worth all of our gifts, worth all of our praise.
what Paul is saying, you understand that this is not a king who expects you to throw gifts at him. This is a king in his ascension gives gifts to his people. And he gives them in gifts of teaching, gifts of mercy, gifts of service, gifts of prayer, gifts of kindness, gifts of hospitality. You see, this is a king who, when he frees you, he doesn't say, no, 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 keep my rules, and you better, you better reward me for what I did for you. He gives you a gift and equips you and says, follow me, that we may go heal and mend this city together. This is so so beautiful. Do you understand that the gift that you've been given is not even something that Jesus stands over you and says, now don't ruin this and don't squander this. But even there's a gospel in the gift given to you. Knowing that you're going to probably at times struggle to use the gift that you've been given, which means why you need each other here because there's probably people in this room that could help you discover your gift and figure out a beautiful way to use it within this family and body for this city and even people in, in here. And the whole time, Jesus is not a king and a lord over there. It's frustrated that you haven't figured that out yet. He's a father who's watching you come into your own. And in his spirit, reminding you of your adoption, reminding you of your childhood in him, that you may find that role and follow him into mending this world. There was a story in um, the Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis Star, I think is the, the, um, the newspaper there, about 15 years ago, about a little boy named Mitch who had bone cancer and was in the children's hospital and it, uh, it had debilitated to the point where he was in a wheelchair. And uh, he was, it was close to Christmas and he heard uh, the family and the curtain next to him uh, fighting and crying and mourning over just sort of financial difficulty of their own child's sickness and to the point where the father of that child was sleeping uh, in the car in Minnesota during the Christmas season because they just couldn't afford a hotel. They couldn't afford anything around. And so Mitch uh, and his father, being uh, saddened by this, decided they wanted to do something about it. And so what Mitch did is he, he this little 10-year-old boy, he cleared out his bank account. I think they said it was $6,800. And what he wanted to do is he found uh, envelopes and was stuffing $100 bills in and just handing them, uh, or sliding them under doors with a note that just said, Merry Christmas. And each family opening up the envelope, they could hear the celebration. They could hear the excitement. They could hear the relief. And uh, Mitch turned to his father and said, this is the best Christmas ever. We have to do this every year. And Mitch's father looked at him and said, Mitch, you're not going to be here next year. And so Mitch looked at his father and said, Pinky promised to me that you will come and do this next year and give gifts to these people. Look, the King of Kings gave you the greatest gift ever in himself 
to, be, to bring new life into this world and then ascended on high. And he's looking at us and looking at his people and saying, I'm going away. Promise me and follow me to go gifts, to go give gifts of mending and healing the brokenness of this world. And I promise you this morning, if you follow this king into that purpose, into that vision, this city will start to really feel like home. And this church will start to really feel like a family that you have to be a part of at all times. You can't miss it. You can't be a part of it because what's happening here is the most life-giving thing you've ever been a part of. Don't you want to join that? I mean, don't you want to find your role and be a part of something like that? Because I do. And find a place in this city that we can heal it. Man, may Jesus do this amongst you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, in a city where uh, it often just feels lonely, and we even wonder why we're here at times and wonder maybe we should just move to Nebraska and, and get out of this, uh, this crazy stir. Uh, would you, Lord, draw us uh, with the gospel to find our role that 10,000 years from now we could, we could really see uh, the mending stories that you created out of this? Lord, would you help us uh, as a family realize everyone plays a role here to follow you and to heal this world. In Jesus' name, amen.